morning, church. You guys doing good today? It's a good day, isn't it? Any day that we get to worship God is a good day, am I right? And uh, he, he really is just so worthy of it, and uh, I'm so glad that I get to worship King Jesus with all of you guys. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't know me yet, my name is Joey, and uh, this is my wife, Kelly, here. Does everybody know Kelly? Kelly, can you stand real quick? Everybody, this, she's going to be mad at me. She doesn't like to be in front of people. All right, listen, yes, we are uh, so happy to be here. Kelly and I, we just love what God's doing here at City Alive. We're a new church. We uh, are coming up actually in a few weeks here uh, on our two-year birthday. So listen, we're barely a toddler church here, and God is doing some really, really good stuff, and we are excited to be on mission for the gospel with all of you. And so uh, if we have not gotten to know you yet, we would love to get to know you a bit after the service. And uh, yeah, we're, we're just excited. Uh, we're going to be finishing up uh, one of these uh, series that we've been in uh, about Abraham and Isaac. How many of you have been here with us for any of this journey with Abraham and Isaac here? It's been a good time. So our series is called The Story of God. And what we did was actually back in the fall, we talked for six weeks about the early chapters of Genesis, creation, Adam and Eve, the fall, Cain and Abel, Noah, the Tower of Babel. And then what we did was we picked up the story a few weeks ago with Abraham and we're going to do this every so often, you know, maybe once or twice a year. We're just going to pick up the story. And the reason that we do this is because all worldviews, when you boil down, why does this person believe this? Why do they act this way? Why do these people do these things? If you were going to break down, what's the difference between me and somebody from another culture or for somebody who votes differently or who acts differently? You can boil down that worldview to the fact that they believe a different story. They believe a different story about our country or about our world. And if you and I are going to be formed as disciples of Jesus, you can't just learn these random, disconnected doctrines. You've got to join the story. And the story of God is an invitation that you and I can find our place in this story. And so we've been talking about Abraham here. Abraham and Isaac, we have finally gotten to the birth of Isaac. It took Abraham till he was 100 years old. God called him at 75. He's like, I'm going to give you kids. I'm going to give you land. Leave your father's house. Leave your family. Leave your country. Go to a place that I'll show you. And then decades went by. Abraham tried to make the promise work on his own terms. He tried all this different stuff. And finally, Isaac came. We talked about the birth of Isaac last week. Now, we're going to get to a story that, that maybe you're familiar with here. It's a story where... God is like, hey, remember that, remember that promised child that I gave you? I might need him back. Anybody heard this story before? Okay, so we're going to talk about this uh, wonderful story and also probably traumatizing for Isaac, and uh, it's going to be a good time. So Genesis 22, verse 1, you'll see it on the screen. After these things, God tested Abraham. How many of you like when God tests you? Okay, cool. Thank God nobody raised, I didn't even look. I'm hoping nobody raised their hand. Did somebody raise their hand? All right, listen, we'll, all right, we'll pray for you, okay? Uh, come up to the altar afterwards. We're going to lay hands on you. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split the wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. This is, this is intense, am I right? Then, he, then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? How many of you want your child to ask you that? Okay. Uh, Dad, I think you forgot, I think you forgot the, uh, the lamb. We're, we're, what are we doing here, Dad? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on top, on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place Yahweh Jireh. Jireh means will provide. So it is said it will be provided. So today it is said it will be provided on Yahweh's mountain. Okay, so really intense story here. Uh, for us as modern people, as people who know the character of the God of Abraham, this feels like it's wild, it's out of control, it's a crazy story. We know from the Bible that God does not believe in child sacrifice. And this is not like a New Testament thing after Jesus. This is in the law of Moses. Now, the thing is here, Abraham doesn't have the law of Moses yet. And we know from the Canaanite cultures around Abraham in this land where he is, that they practice child sacrifice. And so Abraham here, it's easy, so let me, let me put it like this. It's easy for us, thousands of years later, further down the road in the revelation of who God is, to see that God's not like this. In fact, the reader, the, the reader here, as we read Genesis, we kind of know that this is a test, because we see that in the beginning. But you see, for Abraham, he has to learn, is God like all these other Canaanite gods? Is God like all these other gods that demand child sacrifice? And we find, of course, that our God is not like that. Somebody say hallelujah for that, right? So we find this out, but Abraham here has to learn. Now, so let's, let's put on pause the child sacrifice thing. Can we come back to that? All right, everybody's favorite part of the sermon. Let's put that on pause, the child sacrifice thing. Let's talk about the test here for a little while because there's something here in Abraham's journey that I think is important for your journey. And that's why, again, we're doing this Story of God series. 
Because you're going to find that this is not just Abraham's journey with the Lord. This is actually your journey with the Lord. And here's what I have found in my life. I have found that sometimes when God gives you a promise, it feels like you're waiting years and decades, and that's what we've been talking about in this series, that you get to a place where you finally reach the promise of God. But you see, there's a test that comes because oftentimes in life, God asks for the promise back. He asks for Isaac back. And here's what I mean. For many of you in your life, there are promises that God has given you. Maybe it's a promise for a relationship, for a business, for a certain house, for a certain place, for whatever it is that you feel like God has promised you. And we've been talking in this series about getting to the promise by trusting the God who provides. But you see, there will come a point in your life when it feels like God is asking for those things back. And the question is, is God enough for you in those moments? You see, the test that God offers to us is this. Are we in love with the God who gives us Isaac, or do we just want Isaac? The question is, do we just want the stuff that God gives us, or do we actually want him for him? And you see, in that moment, when God asks for Isaac back, it's a test of your heart. And if you ask some believers in this room who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, who've been with the Lord for decades, they'll tell you. They'll tell you about businesses that were lost, houses that were lost, bank accounts that were depleted. And what do you do when it feels like you were doing the promise, you were doing what God told you to do, and all of a sudden God takes Isaac away? The question is, do you love God just because you love him, because you love his presence, or do you just love what he gives you? And I want to tell you, in our, in our American context, we are a success-driven culture. Everybody wants to self-actualize. We want to achieve. We want to accomplish. Everybody's measured against everybody else. And what happens when Isaac is taken away is God asks you, am I enough for you? I can tell you from my own life, did you know ministry can be an idol? I remember my own life, I went through a ministry school in El Salvador, I lived through a, a year in, in Central America in ministry school, came back, went to a ministry school here at my home church for a couple of years, and when I left that ministry school, I explicitly heard the Lord tell me that it was not the time for me to do ministry. I didn't like that so much. All my friends, Josh, Nate, they're getting positions in ministry, and not only were doors not opening, I felt the Lord tell me not to pursue anything. For a couple of years, I didn't have any sort of ministry position, and the Lord asked me, Joey, if you never do anything in terms of ministering in a church ever again, am I enough for you? Do you love me for me, or do you love me for how you can use me to get what you want? Now, I grew up in church. I knew what the right answer was. The right answer is, yes, you're enough. But you know what happened in the test? The test revealed that my heart was saying he wasn't enough. 
And you see, what God did in me in that season was he was rooting out all sorts of pride and the need for the platform and the need to be seen. And over the course of a couple of years, again, this this did not happen overnight. Over the course of a couple of years, I got to a place where I realized I don't care what I do for a paycheck. I don't care how much money's in the bank account. I don't care if nobody ever knows my name. If I have your presence, you are more than enough. That's the test. The test is, do you want the God of Isaac or do you just want Isaac? Do you want the promise of God or do you want the God of the promise? And this is the test in that moment. And in our culture, you see, it's so easy to use God as a means to another end. We want to use God to get what we want. And you see, the goal of Christian maturity, the goal of growing in your walk with God is how you handle that test. It's how you handle that place when Isaac is taken away and your bank account's going down or you lose the business or you lose whatever it is. Is he enough? Is his presence enough? Is his love enough? Is he the end goal that you want or are you just using him to get to the other thing that you really want? I want to read you two verses here from the New Testament here. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. This goes along with what we just sang. Yet for us, there's one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, all things are through him, and we exist through him. See, everything is for him. Another verse here, Revelation 1, 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. That alpha and omega, that's the the Greek alphabet version of A to Z, right? And to believe that God is the omega is to believe that he is the end goal. He is the prize. And I want to tell you here, God will give you blessing. God will give you the promise. God has dreams for your life. Your descendants will outnumber the sand on the shore, Abraham. I'm going to give you a promised land, Abraham. But ultimately, you have to hear this. The best thing God gives you is himself. The best thing he gives you is his presence. And the question is, is being in covenant with Yahweh, the living God, enough? Or is something else the omega and we just need God to get there? Every believer has this test. Now, I can't put God in a box. My test doesn't look like your test. But but at some point in your life, The things that you feel like were promised from God will begin to be taken away. And it's in those moments where where your heart is exposed and you realize, maybe I don't trust him like I thought I did. Maybe I I don't believe that his presence is enough. I'm, I'm trusting to other things to make me happy or to feel like my life is meaningful. So God tests Abraham. Church, it's, it's so easy, whether it's with a, a business or a hobby or a, a relationship or even ministry, to, to turn this into, God, I need this from you, and God, I need this from you, and God, I need that from you. And we go, we go years of our lives where we're pursuing an idol in the name of God. And in the test, God's refining your heart. He's he's purifying your love for him. So you get to a place where you're like, you can take it all. Just give me your presence. You can have everything else. Just give me your love. Just let me be in covenant with you. 
So that, so that by the time Abraham arrives, Abraham gets to a place of maturity in his covenant with God where he doesn't need anything else. He just needs him. And that's the kind of lover God wants. That's the kind of covenant person that God wants who's, who's set apart from everything else in the world. Who, who all, all that we care about is being with him. And so that's, that's the test. Now, now, Abraham's test here is a little different, right? Because we're not talking about, we're not talking about some ministry. We're not talking about a business. We're talking about a boy named Isaac. And that's a different thing, right? So here is this sacrifice. And he, he goes on this journey for three days, grabs, a, you know, some of, his, some of his guys, he takes Isaac, and they go on this journey. And you have to think, like, man, Abraham is crazy. This isn't, this isn't a snap decision. He's like, I just have enough willpower for this one moment for three days. My man just believes. Three days believing that God's either going to provide. Hebrews says that he believed that God could even raise Isaac from the dead if necessary. Just believed. And so he, he takes Isaac Leaves, you know, at some point leaves his other servants behind, goes up on the mountain. And again, for Abraham, this was sort of what the gods did. And you see, when you, when you look at all these different Canaanite religions, you never knew where you stood with the gods. You had to, you had to offer greater and greater sacrifices. So you'd offer some animals Maybe things didn't go your way. You'd offer more and more and more. Anybody heard the story with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel with Elijah? What did they start doing? They started literally cutting their bodies, mutilating their own bodies, trying to get Baal to hear them. That there's this, this cry that like, maybe if I sacrifice more and more and more, maybe God will like me. Maybe the gods will respond to me. Maybe the gods will hear my prayers. And they would even as I said, sacrifice their own children. That it was this barbaric practice of like, we just have to get the gods to bless our crops because we'll starve, or we have to get the gods to hear our prayers, and we have to do more and more and more and more. Now you see Abraham here, who's called out of his father's land, called out from his father's house. He goes on this adventure with Yahweh, and so the question is, is Yahweh like the other gods? And so he takes his son Isaac on this journey, and what we, of course, find is that Yahweh is radically unlike the other gods. Here's what we see here. Verse 22, 13 through 14. You'll see it back on the screen there. The angel of the Lord appears. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place Yahweh Jireh. So today it is said, it will be provided on Yahweh's mountain. Okay, I want you to see how crazy this is. The crazy twist here is that Abraham, expecting Yahweh to be like all the other gods, shows up on the mountain and finds that Yahweh is totally different because not only does he not want people to do crazy things, cutting themselves, crying out like wild people offering their own children. Yahweh's different because Yahweh provides his own sacrifice. Now think about this here for a minute. Imagine 
that you're worshiping. This is sort of what everybody does. You just give all sorts of stuff, animals, kids, whatever. And yet you find out that there's one God who's actually not interested in any of that, but a God who actually offers his own sacrifice and then blesses you when you didn't even do anything. This is unbelievable. What kind of God is Yahweh that he will let himself provide the sacrifice and be like, Abraham, you're good to go. This, this crazy idea here, imagine if you're Abraham, better yet, imagine if you're Isaac, okay? Laid on the thing, tied up, your dad's there with a the knife, like, dad, what, what's happening, man? And you know, like, this is what the gods do. The gods demand this. This is what the gods expect. This is what the gods require. And yet Yahweh is different because he's Jireh. Yahweh's different because he's a provider. Yahweh's different because he provides his own sacrifice. And then he says, you are blessed. You are favored. You're good to go. The price is paid. Yeah, but Yahweh, I didn't do anything. I didn't even bring the ram. I just found it. And God says, it's enough because I've provided the ram in your place. It wasn't even at Abraham's cost. It wasn't even on Abraham's dime. There's a story in the Old Testament where uh, some of you might know it, it's in the book of Chronicles, where, where David wants to buy this certain place to offer sacrifices to God. And the guy says, David, I'll just give it to you. And David says, I can't offer to God something that didn't cost me anything. I can't offer God a sacrifice because if it didn't cost me anything, then it's not really a sacrifice. And yet the crazy idea of the God of Abraham is that he provides his own sacrifice and then credits it to us. And you see, I want to tell somebody today about Jireh. I want to tell somebody today about a God who provides for those in need. I could tell you stories. When Kelly and I were first married, trying to start a church, trying to start a business, just graduated from school, we had nothing. Nothing. I remember one time God told us to give a certain amount of money to someone, and it was like a significant percentage of our bank account, okay? I didn't even tell Kelly about it because I'm like, she's going to want to obey the Lord, and I'm not sure I want to do that. So <laughs> I'm, this is just the truth, okay? I'm being honest with you. I, I don't know if I've told this story here or not. I was like, I don't, I don't know about that, Lord. Like, I don't think I can do this. Talked to Kelly about it. I was like, hey, I've been putting this off. And she's like, why'd you wait so long? Let's do it. And I was like, of course, right? We do it the next day. At the post office, there was a card with two Visa gift cards that equaled the exact dollar amount of what we had given. It's crazy, unbelievable. I'm talking like people out of nowhere were like, here's my paycheck. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. And I'm not talking like, it was people we barely knew sometimes. Like people that we barely knew were just like, God told me to give you this money. Like just straight provided. This church, before we planted City Alive Church, we had people say, Joey, I'm going to start tithing. I'm like, we don't even, we're not even having a service for six months. They're like, I'll hold it for six months. People that don't even go here, like now, never even came. We had a church in Salem. Some of you hear that service. Gave our church $10,000. Unbelievable, right? That if, that if this is the God who, who provides for the lilies, right? The lilies, they don't toil or spin, but yet even Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed like one of these. Or consider the sparrows. They don't sow or reap, and yet your heavenly Father provides for them. And, and are you not worth more than many sparrows? 
See, I could tell you about Jaira. I could tell you about a God who's always had food on the table, a God who always provided clothes on my back and a roof over my head. But you see, here's the thing. Growing up in church my whole life, Jaira was about God providing financial need. And he does that, and I believe it, and I've seen it, and he'll continue to do that. But you see, when God reveals himself as Jaira to Abraham, he's not talking about his physical needs. He's talking about a God who provides the ram, a God who provides the substitute, a God who provides the sacrifice. And I want to tell you today that like Isaac, I should have been dead on the altar, dead in my sin, lost in the ways of this world. And yet when I deserved death, Jaira provided a sacrifice. Jaira provided a lamb in my place. And I'm here today because he provides. Verse 14, Abraham named that place Yahweh Jaira. So today it is said it will be provided on Yahweh's mountain. Mountains become this theme throughout the whole Bible, and I could go on to tell you how Moriah became the temple mount where sacrifices were offered, but you see, ultimately, the mountain that this talks about is a hill called Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull, and it was there that God provided the ultimate sacrifice in our place. In that sacrifice, it wasn't a bull or a goat or a ram. It was Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And you see, Jesus is, is different and he's better than Isaac because Jesus was not an unwilling participant. Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. And you see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came as my substitute, came as my sacrifice. And you have to imagine that, that if you're Isaac there and you see the ram dead on the altar, you have to know that that was in your place. You have to know that that could have been you. But Yahweh's not like the other gods because Yahweh provides his own sacrifice. And now when I look at Jesus Christ on the cross, dead on the altar for me, dead on the altar because of my sin. I can know that my God provides, that my God made a way for me. And you see, this is why Christianity is unbelievably different. This is why Christianity is radically unlike any other belief system out there in the world. Because it's not about what you sacrifice, it's about how Jaira has already provided the sacrifice that you need. He's already provided the sacrifice that you could never provide for yourself. And so you see here, on, on the other side of the cross, Romans 12.1 tells us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. Thank God it doesn't say dead sacrifices like Isaac, right? Living sacrifices. What does that mean? It means that every day of our lives, we offer ourselves back to the Lord as a living sacrifice. God, here's my heart. God, here's my mind. God, here's my time. Here's my money. Here's my job. Here's my marriage. Here's my family. Here's everything in my life. And I'm laying it down on the altar every day as a living sacrifice to you. But you see, the, the difference is, the difference is we aren't trying to sacrifice so that God will like us, so that God will accept us, so that our sins will be provided. We are simply giving back to the Lord what he's already done for us. That the only thing we're doing is we're doing something that he has already done first, right? So we love because he first loved us. We give 
because he first gave to us. We serve because he first served us. And we sacrifice because he already sacrificed for us. And so now my sacrifice to the Lord is not because I'm trying to earn something or accomplish something, but in the grace and love of God, I offer my life as an act of worship. And you see, when you understand this, this changes everything. Because laying your life down as a living sacrifice stops being about trying to get God to like you, and it becomes an offering of love because He already likes you anyways. And you see, it's so easy to turn Christian ethics, Christian morals into, I've got to do these things, otherwise God gets upset, otherwise I'll probably be cut off from his family, otherwise God's not going to be accepted, accepting of me anymore, and yet it was in our Bible verse today that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the gospel of grace changes everything. The gospel of grace doesn't say, well, forget about rules and you can live however you want. No, you are a living sacrifice, but you are from a place of love. You are not so that you'll be accepted, but because you're already accepted in him. And this changes everything about your life. Because it stops being about what you have to do, and it becomes an unbelievable celebration of what he's already done in your place. This is who he is. This is the kind of God that we worship. He's Jireh, the God who, who looks out, provides the sacrifice, and then says, you're good to go. It's this unbelievable concept, this undeserved gift that somehow in the love of God, Yahweh is totally different than everybody else. And I, I, I need to close I need to close here, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. In our context today, in our secular context, in our modern context, there's this idea that, that you, don't need, you don't need to worry about sacrifices, right? For, if God exists, he's probably really far away. He's probably cool with you living however you want. Don't get too worked up about that sin stuff. Don't worry about any of that. And you see, we have, we have this, this secular context on one hand, and then on the other hand, we have this traditional religious mindset that you just have to sacrifice more and more and more and more. And you see, the gospel is just this, this weird thing. Not that you don't need to sacrifice, not that, not that you have to sacrifice, but that, but that God has provided it in your place. God has given it in your stead. And it's this radically undeserved gift. And so when you, when you come into this church, when you come in to worship the Lord, when you wake up early in the morning and you open your Bible, when you stay up at night to pray, whenever it is that you have your time with the Lord, are you sacrificing? Yes. But more than anything, you're celebrating His sacrifice for you. And, and you see, the, the longer I'm saved the more this is still blowing my mind, the more this is still transforming me. And you see, it's so easy for church to just become this sort of, you know, well, we're casual and, you know, we have electric guitars and Joey's not wearing a suit, thank God, and right, we don't have hymns anymore. And the temptation is because the setting is sort of casual to let our hearts become casual in God's presence. 
And you see, there's a holy thing that happens when God's people gather. And what we're doing is not saying, God, look at us. God, look at our sacrifice. It's saying, you've, you've provided the sacrifice. You've given it in my place that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, as the Apostle Paul said. And that it was while we were still sinners. And so you see this, this changes everything. That my God is Jaira. That my God made a way for me when I didn't deserve it. That my God made a way when I deserved, like Isaac, to be dead. That, that God is radically different. That he's unlike the other gods. And somehow, in the grace and love of God, he looks out on a world of sinners and he says, I'll provide. There's just, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing that compares to it that you and I are benefiting from something that didn't cost us anything. You and I are entering into the work that somebody else did, the price that somebody else paid. And he, he welcomes us into his family, into his covenant, solely by grace. We come and we celebrate his gift on our behalf, his sacrifice on our behalf, because he's Jaira. This is, this is the kind of God that he is, and it, it doesn't even sound right. It doesn't even sound proper. We should be giving everything for him. What? What kind of God lowers himself, humbles himself, dies on a cross, offers his own life as sacrifice? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that what, that what Jaira ultimately provided was his own self, dead on the altar for me. Imagine what, what kind of God this is who's radically unlike everyone else where you could talk to people of this belief system and that belief system and it's here's what you do and here's what you offer and here's what you sacrifice and the people of God, the people of Abraham show up and it's like, yeah, our God sacrificed for us. Our God laid himself down for us. That it was, it was God dead on the altar in my place. The Lamb of God dead on the altar in my place. 